Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. This is... Um, <laughs> sorry about that, folks. This is Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Suttles. And I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide uh, useful information to help um, public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be. Ah, here we go. Now, so a year ago or so, um, Tennessee and their governor uh, provided um, relief from the restrictions that have been placed on co-ops that prevented co-ops from being able to provide broadband services to their members. Um, This year, I'm very happy to see that um, one of the largest, if not the largest, co-op in um, Tennessee partnered with a local ISP and are ready to bring gigabit Speed to um, their uh, their members, their their business, their residential, and so forth. Right. This uh, today, I have three guests: uh, William Bradford, who is the CEO and um, president of United Communications, that's the ISP. There is um, Brad Gibson, who is the chief Oper- uh, cooperative business officer. officer. And there is also Fritz Heimberger, who's lieutenant, who is the um, with the uh, Peyton Volunteer uh, Fire Department. And together, these guys are going to talk about what's happening in Middle Tennessee and why co-ops all over the the state and the country need to see what these guys are are are, are doing. So first. Thank you all of you guys for being uh, here this week. I know you guys are pretty busy and so forth, but your, um, you know, your being here is really, really uh, cool. And I am going to actually start with um, uh, William. Uh, actually, we had talked um, last week, all of you guys, actually, um, and but it was interesting when um, William, when you and I talked, and you talked about um, why or how it is that you're able to form really good partnerships that are mutually beneficial and gets the job done of getting people together and working forward with uh, with with broadband. I like to share some of that. Uh, this with today's audience. Yeah, absolutely, Craig. So you're asking sort of what it takes to pull together a partnership of this caliber, yeah. right? Yeah, I think you know as we talked last week, the key thing is is um, you can't finish unless you start. And we agreed a while back with the people on this call that we've just got to sit down and, and have a conversation. And, and quite honestly. There are a lot of those little conversations that led to very big conversations. You know, one of those being Fritz calling United, probably on a lark to see if we'd be interested in expanding service to his area, knowing that both as a resident of the Paytonsville area and as a volunteer firefighter, that fire department lacked access. And so, you know, it just really started with an exploratory call to us on his behalf. And similarly, um, you know, Brad and I made the connection as being uh, service providers in the region that it made sense to get together and talk and, and just brainstorm and whiteboard ideas that we could work together. So my biggest suggestion to everybody is you never know until you sit down and, and really just start that dialogue on if, if there's something that makes sense or not. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, now, Bill, uh, Bill, um, 
Brad, sorry. Um, there seems to be, like within the last year, a lot of co-ops are finally getting into broadband. Um, do you think that's the, that, you know, that is the case? There is like a growing uh, interest among co-ops throughout the, the country. And what was it that motivated you guys to pull the trigger um, and basically come out of the gate first with getting broadband into um, in Tennessee? Well, Craig, you touched on it earlier, and we certainly want to compliment the leadership of Governor Haslam and the state legislature for uh, the enabling legislation that was passed just last year. And leading up to that, with anticipation that it had the potential to succeed, we began in earnest really looking to answer the call that our members had for their electric cooperative to find a path, a potential path, to answering this need. So we are seeing an uptick, and I think that uh, it's in response to that enabling legislation and folks looking to electric cooperatives to help fill a gap where uh, you know, existing access doesn't currently exist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what's uh, if you were to list, uh, uh, Brad, like the top three goals as a co-op? What is it that you guys want to uh, want to do? Yeah, that's a great question, Craig. And really, when we think about three things that this impacts. One, we take it back to the electric utility purpose fiber uh, in access to this type of connectivity that is going to be needed as we further our efforts around smart grid and as we deploy deeper and deeper into the network and need for smart grid to meet the expectations of reliability from the electric standpoint, this infrastructure is critical in that first step. So then if you're going to have this type of infrastructure, then thinking about it in terms of delivering access to broadband and also as a point of economic development, uh, I think those three pieces are key. So, uh, you know, really it's that answer to call for broadband, it's economic development, but it's also the roots are in electric utility purposes of smart grid infrastructure that allows us to meet the reliability expectations that the members have today. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the the, the membership, um, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Fritz, your um, are you part of uh, uh, MCE's uh, service area? I mean, I know that you're you're you know you initially contacted um, uh, United, but I was wondering, logistically, are you actually also part of the co-op? service area yes indeed Greg we sure are both uh, my family where we live out in the community uh, as well as down at our uh, our local fire station we um, we are all members of uh, MTEMC we are indeed okay okay so let's talk about uh, the um, fire department first and we'll talk then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with your you know on the home, on the home front what are the needs a volunteer fire um, department because I was I, I was actually surprised when I found out that nearly 70% of the firefighters in the U.S. are are volunteers. Indeed, uh, actually, <clears throat> to your very point, Craig, uh, within our county, within Williamson County, uh, we have four main cities municipalities that are either fully paid departments or they are a paid volunteer combination department. Outside of those municipalities, or if you will, out in the county, quote unquote, uh, our fire service is 100% volunteer. So, you know, a firehouse, a volunteer firehouse specifically, is nothing without its volunteers. Uh, certainly we need the, the firefighters, the men and women who are willing to give of themselves, their families are willing to you know, give of their spouses, their fathers, their mothers, um, their children, <laughs> to be able to you know, make that sacrifice and come down and serve the community with all of us. So mm-hmm. you know, the easier we can make it for people to want to volunteer and the easier we can make them, you know, if you will, quote unquote, feel at home while they're at the firehouse, 
Um, the more members we're going to have, the more dedicated members we're going to have, and certainly uh, the increase in just direct service to the community is is palpable when you have a higher number of folks at the station on a regular basis. Uh, mm-hmm. At our particular station, we have three what we call live-ins, and then we also have a bunk room. Uh, anytime any of our members want to come pull a 12-hour or 24-hour shift, sleep overnight, uh, we certainly have that capability. And the fact that, you know, prior to our, our current fiber situation, you know, we were running off a hotspot, a cellular hotspot. So when you look at things like a member coming in and, you know, wanting to watch, you know, her favorite Netflix show or his favorite Netflix show prior to going to bed, but that's just not a possibility uh, when you're, you know, you've got three, four people pulling off one hotspot. The bandwidth drawdown is so drastic that it's it's just not feasible. So, you know, for one, certainly the the entertainment value, the make it feel like home value, the you know, it's it's in, in today's age of consumerism, uh, there's no doubt that companies are wanting to make it easier for folks to do business with them. And I think for us we certainly want to make it easier on our members and our prospective members to feel like a part of our family, to feel like a part of our firefighter family. So mm-hmm. certainly that part is is huge. Um, second, and perhaps even more importantly, is the safety factor. Um, the broadband capability for us to be able to engage in more online training, more interactive training, uh, to be able to know that we have a patent signal, a, a patent connection when we come back from a run such that we can get our reporting done quickly and accurately while it's still fresh in our mind. Um, that's huge. That you know, it, When you, you get back from a run and the adrenaline's pumping, you want to be able to have that download of information uh, into a record such that you know it, it is as accurate as possible. And when one comes back and realizes that the cell signal is gone, for example, and there is no way to connect up to our cloud instance of our reporting software, um, two hours, four hours, six hours later, that information is not going to be, I mean, it's human nature, that information is not going to be as fresh uh, hours later as it is right there after the fact. So... Uh, I think that those are those are certainly two things unto themselves. Uh, I will also say that within our uh, within our apparatus, you know, a third way that we actually you know are are able to make use of our newfound broadband and the subsequent uh, very high speed Wi-Fi that is now permeated throughout the firehouse. Um, a lot of our apparatus have what we call MDTs or mobile data terminals. Uh, those do hook up when we are out on a run via a cell carrier's you know, 4G LTE signal. Uh, however, when we are back, and, and typically that service is relatively good throughout the county, though there are certainly dead spots. Uh, the real big boon, though, when we're able to come back to the firehouse, those mo- mobile data terminals are able to switch from that cellular carrier over to the Wi-Fi that now permeates our our vehicle bays, our apparatus bays, such that that data transfer is significantly more patent than it ever was before. It's just no longer a worry for us. Got it. Um, I have a question for Bill. So um, in in uh, Fr- uh, Fritz's case, you know, they uh, contacted you guys, but when we were talking last week, uh, well, actually, well, I talked to Chris and you, but this issue of... Um, you guys have been getting requests uh, for broadband um, uh, continu- continuously for the last decade. Um, how do you formalize that, especially now that you have this relationship with um, uh, with with the co-op? How do you maximize? You know, uh, you know, it's whatever worry that you do to bring that data together so that you can plan, you can pro- project, and so forth. You know, how how does that actually work there? Yeah. So, 
a, a few things. Our goals out of the gates, one, are to create more awareness about where we already have fiber today. One of the challenges um, as a smaller provider um, is, is that sometimes we don't get that uh, you know, first call when people are looking for options. So uh, that was goal one, is just to create more awareness about availability. And so we've, we've got pretty sophisticated mapping software running on our website that, that really tries to make that easy to understand for consumers moving to the area. And then two, similarly, we're able to plot every single request on a map, so we can immediately start to create heat maps uh, for, um, for uh, you know, future zones that we'll deploy broadband to. So it really makes it, if, if we put the work in on the upfront and collecting the data, uh, the back-end planning process becomes a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing you would recommend that your other, like your, your other co-op colleagues and so forth, that they do a similar um, process because my understanding is that maybe call it four years ago there might have been a half a dozen co-ops that were on board and building broadband. And then there was like this gap when nothing else was seen to be going on. And now all of a sudden people are saying, well, those initial folks did well, so we can probably, you know, it's safe to get into the water, I think. Is, you know, so would you recommend, uh, you know, software uh, to, I mean, not, not a particular brand or anything, but, you know, do you recognize, recommend that technology as a key part of, getting themselves ready. Yeah, I think, uh, as you've probably seen on the radio show, not all broadband ventures are successful. So the more planning you do, I think the, the better you set yourself up to be successful in that process. So uh, absolutely all of the above. I think old fashion, just old-fashioned conversations with residents, businesses, community leaders actually go a long way and are still the most useful tool, especially in the markets we serve. Uh, so number two is having the most sophisticated systems you can to give you the data. But you also don't want to get paralyzed by, by data or lack of data. Uh, and then three is just uh, moving forward and, and working with the communities to uh, you know, create awareness about where you do have fiber. So I, I think it takes all those tools uh, to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, Brad, in the, um, you know, the, those pioneers in broadband uh, relative you know, to the co-ops, um, they are doing it themselves, uh, you know, internally. How would you recommend uh, co-ops go about determining if a relationship with, a, um, uh, with an ISP, when does, when, when does it make sense? Yep. Great question, and you know th that's a very difficult question. And I think ultimately, what we learned in our exploration of many options uh, to answer this call for broadband is that there isn't a right answer. Um, and uh, I guess where I would go with that is that it's important to be confident in what is most appropriate for your co-op to meet the needs of your members, and, and that's a real balancing act. And I think we were very fortunate. Uh, that a provider like United that has been here for over 70 years and has similar values to our organization uh, was a willing partner. So, you know, I think that led us down a very fruitful path as we ultimately got to uh, a conclusion that made sense for both parties to accelerate the call for broadband. And ultimately that's, that's what this is doing. I mean, it's still a multi-year process, but we are able together to do something and accelerate that deployment that individually I think we would have um, had struggles in doing on our own. Mm -hmm. Now I um, understand that the smart grid is a big part of the uh, deliverables for this partnership. And a lot of people probably don't even know what happens with a uh, smart grid. But um, what's how would you describe the smart grid and what is, when, what is its importance in this move forward with, with broadband? Yeah, I mean, simply put, we're looking at reducing the amount of time that someone experiences an outage. 
and ultimately, you know, there are going to be outages, whether they're weather-related or animal-related or car accident-related. Those unfortunate things happen. And where you have access to connectivity like fiber that is high-speed, low-latency connectivity, the grid, in essence, can be more self-healing. So that it, it's not that it eliminates an outage. It reduces the time that it takes to go through switching procedures in order to reduce the number of folks that are impacted by that outage and reduce the amount of time they're without electricity. So that smart grid component becomes very complex, and I'm thankful that we have you know, incredible engineers here and great operations folks that are focused on that on a daily basis to improve it. But what they've been telling us is to really take that next step, we've got to have access to, you know, incredible world-class grid infrastructure that goes beyond the traditional electric infrastructure but includes telecommunication pieces. And we're very thankful that United got, has got many of those things in place today and is a willing partner in helping us, you know, grow that infrastructure to meet that need as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, William, in the case of Chattanooga, probably one of the most famous of the Tennessee uh, communities that's moved forward, um, they talk about how they built the smart grid, and by building out the smart grid, which basically went to every hill and holler in the, in, in the, in the area, um, they were able, there was easier for them to... Uh, then start offering broadband services to uh, residents and uh, businesses. Uh, would you say that um, that would be a good strategy to emulate? Which is basically, I mean, basically what you're doing in in um, uh, in Middle Tennessee, you're basically building or enhancing the smart grid. And that will make it easier to transition to um, residential services, or is it like not necessarily applicable? What, what's your take on that? Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give you my take from my standpoint. But uh, I've got good partners that have strong opinions on that too. I mean, our view is, is we want a balanced approach, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're really setting out to accomplish multiple goals. One is to uh, to harden and improve the, the electric infrastructure at a, at a very cost-effective, in a very cost-effective manner. But two is to expand broadband to many of these unserved areas and serve the Middle Tennessee electric members. So as we take all these data points uh, in our deployment model, both of those will be, you know, pretty similarly weighted factors. Oh, okay, all right. Um, where do you see? Um, I guess with the uh, the smart grid, um, does the developing a smart grid does that make you eligible for uh, government grants of one sort or another? Because that's been talked that's been talked about too in in the past. Is that um, you know you use the revenue from these grants or you know various funding sources. Uh, to then, again, you know, offset some of the costs of building out the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, Craig, let me answer that from United's standpoint. I'll let Brad answer it from the smart grid standpoint. Um, there are various programs available to deploy broadband to the least served areas. There's a Tennessee, the Tennessee Broadband Accessibility Act, which is the act that we were talking about at the beginning of the call, established a three-year grant program. Um, we anticipate that that will be an option for us. Additionally, as you're probably well aware, there's many federal programs that support broadband in the highest cost areas. So we we do want to be opportunistic and you know and, and uh, applying for and deploying funds, all the funds available to us, because as you know, these are the hardest and, and most highest cost areas to serve. Or there be options, internet options available here today. Uh, Brad, I'll bounce it over to you, maybe on the smart grid side. Yeah. And, in the recent history, there have been uh, some opportunities in that space. I don't know that uh, many smart grid grants exist today, uh, but we'll certainly continue to 
pay attention to, very close attention to, to make sure that we're taking advantage of any opportunity that's there to help accelerate this deployment. Because uh, again, our members are asking for higher reliability, they're asking for uh, high-speed reliable connectivity, um, and any opportunities we have to leverage those things to help make that happen faster, we're going to pursue that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, Fritz, I want to ask you about, um, you know, as a as a consumer, let's not talk about the, the, the fire part of the class, but just from a, a consumer perspective, um, do you think it matters to you and your family whether you're getting broadband from uh, wireless or, or 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 fiber. And the reason I ask the question is because we still get these back and forth things. Well, you got to have uh, fiber in the in the story, you know. And there are other people that you know feel like well, it needs to be um, wireless because of the terrain or what have you. But as a customer, you know, does it really matter to you? So it's a very fair question, Craig. I um, I'm going to put my nerd hat on for just a minute here. You're, you're talking to an engineer, and <laughs> I, I work in IT and software for my full-time job, as does my wife. Um, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit that a wired connection is always more patent. Or I'm not going to say always is almost always more patent than any wire-free connection or wireless connection would also would be. Um, that said, I think it depends on what you're doing. You know, I, I certainly have neighbors uh, within my community who kind of shrugged their shoulders. They said, hey, we, you know, we may be older, we may be empty nesters, uh, or our kids are, are so young or so old. You know, we really don't consume that much broadband. Why would I want it? And, you know, it, it was a very simple five-minute conversation to talk about all of the different things. You know, the young kids, hey, give it another four or five years. How do you think they're going to be doing their homework? You know, if you've got two kids and you're doing email and streaming on your, you know, hot-spotted cell phone uh, versus being able to have a live fiber connection, plus now you have two children that are trying to get their homework done, you know, you want to obviously enable those kids to be the best they can be. Uh, similarly, certainly myself and my wife, you know, in our work, we both work from home. So to know that we can both be on a video call, you know, a video conference with, you know, me with Australia and her with Europe at the same time uh, and not have to worry about it is a blessing unto itself. Um, you know, thinking about broadband over the air, I think it would certainly be, um, would certainly suffice for many people but personally, knowing that that fiber backbone is there, uh, knowing the reliability is huge, and knowing that you're working with a company, you know, such as a Middle Tennessee Electric and a United, that pride themselves on having that, you know, consumer first mentality. The fact that we're all in this together, we're a community together, we're a family together. Let's serve our friends and neighbors first. Um, that's a that's a dynamic match made in heaven right there. It really is. Okay. It's. A, uh, um, it's I don't. Know, I want to get last question for uh, William because I know he has to leave. Um, William, is from your perspective, um, is the future going to be a hybrid future? Is it going to be? Um, some exports um, fiber and some exports wireless. Yeah, that's one of the things we pride ourselves on being a small company is that we've got lots of tools at our disposal. So we do believe. I mean, fiber is at the core of what we're doing because of um, the virtually unlimited capacity that it offers, and especially on the backbone and to end user customers like Fritz. Uh, but we also know. Uh, that we've got to have, in our world, a fixed wireless solution. So we actually offer both fiber and fixed wireless, and, uh, you know, that might be slightly different than the mobile wireless that you're referring to. But we do believe that, uh, you know, it's important not to lock yourself into any one technology because we all know technologies are changing fast. And instead, 
deploy solutions that meet customers' needs. And that's what we hope to always pride ourselves on is by recommending the most appropriate solution for the, each individual case. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know that you actually you have to, to go, and I'm sorry you can't hang out more, but it definitely was a pleasure having you um, uh, on, on the show. And also in, in the future, I'm sure I'm going to be going back to uh, Middle Tennessee to talk about, you know, your, your progress and so forth. So much continued success on that side of things. Oh, great. Well, I appreciate being invited. You know, that was one of the unique things about our partnership is we've got many projects already underway. So we feel like, you know, in addition to having great partners in Middle Tennessee Electric, we also have many existing projects that we can share together and, and many success stories, uh, hopefully just like the one in Paytonsville that we can share uh, in the coming weeks and months. So uh, pretty exciting times, and I uh, appreciate you inviting us uh, to the discussion. Sure, no problem. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Brad, I'd like to come back to the question of um, uh, the, the wireless. Um, where do you see wireless having its biggest impact in the broadband uh, equation? You know, is it, you know, um, getting uh, data from uh, smart meters? Uh, is it the, um, you know, smart parking meters? I mean, how, how would you see um, wireless sort of evolving in these next couple of years? That's a great question. And, you know, to Fritz's point that ideally, you know, you run a, a fiber to every single a home and every meter and every single thing, but that's that's a very capital intensive proposition. Mm -hmm. And you know, technology is changing, it's evolving. And so I think one of the things that though as we approach this uh from different perspectives as we evaluated the potential opportunities before us, we came to the conclusion that there wasn't a single answer. There wasn't one technology uh that from a cost perspective a deployment uh, perspective was going to be the single answer and that ultimately we needed to evaluate how to do this in a way to push that access out to as many as people as possible in a fiscally responsible way that over time could evolve and grow with the demands of that technology. And I think that's one of the key alignments that we saw uh, in United as a partnership that they were coming to similar conclusions um, in the way they were looking to deploy that technology to serve, you know, residential, commercial, industrial folks that were asking them for service. And, you know, in difficult to serve areas like where United and Middle Tennessee Electric serve, that's pretty critical to make sure that we're approaching it with as many tools in our tool uh, belt as possible because this isn't an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask both of you um, this question of uh, the digital divide, right? A lot of people talk about we have it, and people sometimes, you know, list the various things that are that contribute to it. You know, lack of uh, you know overall education. Um, uh, no interest because of age and that that kind of thing, but if you have ten thirty percent of your population, you know, depending on where you are, um, how do you actually close that? Right? It's it's one thing to say, yeah, we got this problem, but how do you how do you you know bring these people together? And I'll start with uh, you, Brad, and then we'll talk to to, to get that uh, take on this. Well, I think it's examples of evaluating everything that you have available, and that's you know that's the partnership like we're talking about today between United and Middle Tennessee Electric, but it's also not closing the door to every conversation that needs to take place from here on out, so that that creativity remains paramount in the dialogue that 
together we're having with other folks to make sure that we're exploring uh, how best to serve the communities where we live and work. Um, uh, you know, there's a reason other providers aren't in these areas. It, it's difficult, and they're making financial decisions based on you know, the returns required for their shareholders, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but as we see the evolution of this service transitioning, what we believe is becoming moving from a want to a need, then we've got to be creative in how we approach that. And uh, I certainly believe that this is an example of doing this together. We're much stronger than trying to tackle this on our own. And I don't think we can stop because we've announced this partnership from having dialogues with you know, neighboring utilities and, and other folks to help figure out how we successfully deploy this over the coming years. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, Fritz, what's your take on the digital divide? Um, you know, yeah, you've actually you lived in Nashville for a period of time, right? This in the district before you got here where you are now. Yes, that is that is correct. I um I actually went to school at uh, at Vanderbilt University in Nashville and then subsequently did about uh, 7 years after graduation in Nashville as well uh before spending a few years in Chicago and now we've been back in the Nashville area uh coming up on 5 years. Okay. So I'm going to add a little yep. twist in here. Um I want I do want you to ask you know to answer what you think you know what can be done to deal with the digital divide. But does what you do, uh, is it going to be different in a rural area versus a, uh urban area? So we now have a two-parter here question. <laughs> sure. So, you know, I, I think the, the bridging of the digital divide, you know, I'll, I'll equate this somewhat to my, to my own work world and personal world as well. I've got, like I said, a biomedical engineering and a clinical background myself. And I kind of look at it as, as population health. You know, population health in my world means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, but overall, it is looking at, you know, the greater gross of, of humanity and figuring out how can we, you know, Im- improve our being as a lot. Um, you know, whether it is better access to healthcare services, whether it is, you know, medication affordability, whether it is, you know, even something as simple as access to fresh fruits and vegetables in the grocery store as opposed to chips and soda. You know, everything there kind of rolls up under that population health umbrella. Mm-hmm. I see a very similar similar uh, vein here with, with bridging this digital divide. You know, it's very much the haves and the have-nots. Um, you know, prior to living in the metropolitan Nashville Davidson County area, uh, there was never a question if I if I had broadband or not. And this was, I mean, 12, 12 13 years ago. Um, you know, thinking about now where we live and have lived for five years now, uh, knowing that there was an occasion, there have been multiple occasions where my wife and I had to get work done and had to go to our local coffee shop just to get a high speed connection. Um, <laughs> it's it's painful, and the fact, as you said, you know, the the broadband, uh, Brad so aptly said, it is no longer a want or a luxury, but it's a need. Mm-hmm. And broadband, you know, the need for broadband is a fiber that is woven, no pun intended, uh, a fiber that's woven through all of our lives, whether, again, it's our children doing our homework or adults getting their work done or, you know, doing online shopping for the holidays. It, it's It's just not even a thought. It's a complete afterthought, in fact. Um, and I think being able to to serve that, you know, from an education perspective, again, we mentioned it down at the firehouse, being able to have interactive education, online learning, um, constantly stretching our brains and making us better. Um, you know, my, my mother taught me at a very young age to surround yourself with people that call you to a higher level. And I think to be able to stretch ourselves and expand our own minds and call each other to a higher level, broadband is going to be an enabler of that. So the, uh, you know, the likes of United and Middle Tennessee Electric being willing to come together to be an even more integral part of the community in which they, you know, live and work as, as Brad and William have said, that just, that speaks to us growing stronger together for lack of a better word, phrase. Okay. Um, 
So, Brad, I have a question regarding um, uh, municipalities. You, know, you mentioned uh, that you may have relationships or develop relationships with other uh, utilities and so forth. Um, uh, a year or two ago, one of the big co-ops in the Midwest, uh, there was a, a municipality next door to their service area, and for the um, uh, for the, uh, the municipality, they figured that you know it would make sense to have the co-op use uh, fiber from the um, the city for building an umbrella, you know, a broadband umbrella around that um, city, town, you know, town. Um, but it made sense, right? It was basically saying, well, we got this resource. Why don't we have, um, you know, the co-op? Because now they had you know, like a year or two experience building. So they were obviously, you know, the, the municipality was comfortable with the idea. You know, do you foresee that there will be um, towns and uh, counties um, that aren't under the, the United area but might be uh, next door door to you, would you see your, yourself being able to provide or be willing to provide that service to some of these other municipalities? Well, I certainly think that, you know, in areas where United is not today and that we serve those municipalities, uh, we, will, we will continue to look to be good community partners. And I think one of the things that will be most important for us to focus on is maintaining and growing the relationships with those local elected officials and those community leaders that want to engage with us to help us make good decisions around where we provide access and how we can do that most cost-effectively. Um, you know, we serve a 2,100-square-mile service footprint, and there's a lot of need throughout that footprint. So uh, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, and you know, one of the things that we stress in our communication around this is that you know, this is really day one of a multi-year project. Uh, because building that infrastructure and, and reaching those folks in those areas that are hard to serve and underserved, um, there are priorities, but we've got to make sure that we do that uh, in a cost-effective way. So um, being engaged with local elected officials, continuing conversations is something we've done for many years on the electric side, and I think we just continue that and grow it and foster that in a way that makes sense to make sure we're being responsive to those needs on the telecommunications side moving forward. Hmm. Okay. Um, let's talk about uh, health and telehealth and we're in your respective worlds, you know, does um, Fritz from the fire department and EMT uh, world and you, Brad, from the, you know, the co-op world, where do you see telehealth um, advancing? Right now we're talking about basic, you know, we can go to a doctor by video, right? And everybody, that's like the big thing. But, you know, it seems like we should be able to, we should be able to do more. What do you think more is? And we'll start with um, Fritz and then go to, to Brad. Sure. So I, I think, you know, telehealth certainly, typically when we in the fire and EMS community, you know, interact with the patient, uh, it may, it's typically on an emergent acute basis. Mm -hmm. Um you know, it's typically not one of the best days of that patient's life, or they would likely not have dialed 911. Um, but I, but I think from a telehealth perspective, the the ability for and, and telehealth again is is one part of that population health algorithm, right? Uh, we we mentioned it briefly just just a bit ago, but the telehealth aspect itself, having that patent high speed connection. Uh, to be able to have more preventative conversations 
with your primary care physician. Um, you know, it's it's one thing if you certainly are, are you know, from a convenience perspective. Um, I think we are a we are a society of rapid satisfaction, immediate satisfaction, and a lot of times if we aren't able to get that, um, we, we just kind of brush it off and push it on and, and try to, you know, keep that level of efficiency. And if a patient is able to, at the onset of certain signs or symptoms, be able to easily reach out to his or her provider and schedule a telehealth visit that may take all of five or ten minutes, um, such that the provider is then able to ascertain and diagnose what's going on with that patient, perhaps call in or, you know, e-prescribe a prescription that can be automatically sent over to the local pharmacy such that that patient can then drive five minutes to the pharmacy as opposed to 30 minutes to the physician's office. That is inherently uh, incentivizing that patient to stay healthier. Hey, if, if I can stay healthy for a lower cost of my time, a lower cost of my involvement, you know, lower input on my end, of course I'm going to do it as opposed to, oh, my gosh, I've just got this little tickle in my throat or tickle in my chest, and I know it's going to take me 45 minutes to fight traffic to get to my doctor's office, and goodness gracious, he's always running an hour and a half behind schedule. Uh, there's no way I can take, you know, half my day to go get this checkup taken care of. Yet, by the end of the week, you're, you've got walking pneumonia, and it just kind of, you know, digresses from there. Um, so, so I think from a telehealth perspective, uh, preventative medicine is, is going to be a, a hugely enabled and empowered through the use of, of high-speed fiber. You know, from us in the fire and EMS community, you know, from a telehealth perspective, I would say we're not necessarily there today. But, you know, we've got instances of being able to transmit data back and forth to the hospital. So not telemedicine in the true sense of the word, like a physician visit, but it is still telemedicine as we're able to, for example, transmit a 12-lead uh, electrocardiogram reading. You know, we have mm -hmm. a patient with a suspected SD elevation myocardial infarction or heart attack. We're able to take that 12-lead right there at the patient's bedside, perhaps in the home or out in the driveway, and send that to the hospital rapidly such that you can actually have a physician, you know, have an MD read that and say, yep, absolutely, you're spot on, your, you know, diagnosis is correct, let's go ahead and get the cath lab prepped, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, or even being able to, you know, I talked earlier, my wife and I both, you know, work work in software and being able to do a video conference. I certainly foresee in the near future as we have the further permeation of of high speed data links throughout our community, certainly through these fiber or, you know, fixed wireless uh, avenues, being able to, for example, teleconference that physician into the particular back of the ambulance in which we may be working or into that patient's bedroom at home where we say, hey, we're suspecting an XYZ, what do you think, doc? Mm -hmm. And whereas before, it may just be a phone call or get the physician on the radio, call medical control. If we can get to the point where we can do a video call right then and there, that is bringing that physician to the bedside in the home at the point of injury or illness. Um, and that is just... I mean, that, that, that's revolutionary, even compared to where we are today, which is light years ahead of even 20 years ago. That type of a next step is, um, is, is really, truly next-generation healthcare delivery. Mm -hmm. Brad, what do you think? Well, I, I think everything that was just said is spot on, and we're, just, we're, we're a part of that fundamental shift in the way that we're empowered to serve. And whether that's happening through the telemedicine examples that were just discussed or whether it's happening uh, through education and the changes in the way we can deliver education to the way we can grow businesses to the way we you know receive entertainment all of those pieces are fundamentally shifting in having access to this reliable high-speed connectivity is paramount and seeing that come to fruition Gotcha. Okay. Um, let's 
uh, you know, in addition to telehealth and healthcare being improved, um, there's uh, people talking about using broadband to further education. And I mean, not necessarily the, you know, the homework gap, you know, the K-12, right, but ongoing continual learning. Um, do you see, and let's we'll start with, with um, Brad, um, do you see a lot of that happening? Will people actually, you know, start to focus a little bit more on this whole idea of continual education as, well, yes, this is one more reason we have or would have broadband. Yeah, one of the steps that we took as we were, you know, doing our due diligence around offering this type of service was really listening to what our members were saying. And time and time again, I can point to folks that were talking about it in everything from their children's elementary school education to continued education that they were pursuing for you know, furthering their careers at a collegiate level, but also in, in simple terms of I just need to log on so that I can take a training course that enables me to do something different than what I'm skilled at doing today uh, on a site like lynda.com. And so many of those things are delivered via video now, and those require good, strong, reliable connections that you know, don't really have data caps because it's a lot of content that's being pushed over, over that connection. And so it is wide in scope. It's not just you know, that K-12 student that needs to do their homework. It, it moves all the way into the uh, doctorate level studies that are taking place today online. And having access to that, uh, again, becomes fundamental and shifting the way we approach learning and the way we approach how we educate. Uh, and those opportunities really become more exponential when you have access to a reliable high-speed connection. Makes sense. All right. Um, Fritz, what's your take on continual education? Yeah, I would I would certainly go along with what uh, Brad was saying. You know, the, the K through 12 normal that we we think about and gravitate toward when we have that conversation. I wholeheartedly agree on the doctorate side. I mean, it's it is furthering oneself, calling oneself to that higher level, continual betterment of ourselves. Um, that personal growth is hugely important. Uh, one of my best friends, his wife actually just finished her doctorate back in the fall, and you know, as she was preparing for her doctoral defense. And, you know, and this happens to be at a local university uh, here in the greater Nashville area. The amount of work that she was able to do because of the now, you know, high-speed broadband capabilities that she had at her house, you know, when we would have snow and ice storms here in Nashville, which, let's be honest, don't happen that often, but they certainly do on occasion, um, mm-hmm. you know, she was actually able to still collaborate with her classmates to you know, get their their doctoral dissertation, their thesis, their defense, can you know, to continue pushing that ball forward without a gap in there because of weather, because of school closing, because of whatever. It just it was a non-issue. And I would say, you know, to transfer back over to the fire department, you know, EMS side of my life, continual education in our world, be it you know, an emergency medical responder at you know, the low end to an EMT, to an advanced EMT, to a paramedic, and certainly on the fire side of the house, whether we've got somebody who has just raised their hand and said, excuse me, I'd like to be a member of the fire department, I have zero experience, where do I start? All the way up to somebody like myself who's been doing this for almost 20 years, um, but still certainly trying to grow, taking new classes, getting additional information, arming oneself with new tips, tools, tactics to better do the job, uh, there's no substitute for being able to see it, done, you know, get done in a video. It's it's one thing to read a two-page article on, hey, here's a new tip, tool, trick, tactic, whatever, to fix this, you know, to to deal with this type of car accident, for example. Sure, you can read about it, and sure, you can try to visualize what's going on, but to be able to watch an online training video that is, you know, augmented with verbal cues 
and you know to actually see how that type of you know vehicle dissection takes place to even better than today safely extricate those patients from that particular vehicle to be able to see it i mean it, it, it's second to none and of course we know that different people learn in different ways some people see it some people can hear it some people have to do it to be able to pick it up some people require multiple modalities of learning to be able to really fully grasp a concept and i think with the uh the you know new i wouldn't say plethora but the the integration of a fiber backbone into our daily lives now or even the fixed wireless whatever the case may be to be able to deliver all those different modalities of learning such that most everyone is covered that's just uh, that's second to none learning right there okay um so we've got about 5 minutes so let's see the last question i believe so um one of the things I heard when I was at a conference not too long ago, um, where someone—I mean, not 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 one of the presenters, but someone else—and they were saying, um, "We just build the network. Right? We, um, you know, we work with co-ops and we just build the network. We don't worry about the uh, the applications and this that, and the other kinds." Of number of um, municipalities, so, you know, people from municipalities, and they have the same attitude. You know, I built it, it's now yours. It's somebody else's problem. I, as a builder of these, on uh, from Brad's perspective, and as a consumer of these, um, you know, on Chris's uh, perspective, you know, give me a minute, minute and a half of which does it make sense to care about the applications or not? So, Brad, what's your take? Well, yeah, yeah I think for us to um, be effective in this space, we've got to be a great listening ear and a partner in this. And you know, that's understanding from the perspective of those end users what it is they need uh, out of this network. It's the same, I think, there's a direct parallel on the side of reliability on, on the utility side, on the electric utility side. You know, for us to be truly effective in delivering world-class service, we've got to be your partner in this. And, and I think sometimes that term could get overused, but uh, I genuinely mean that, that we've got to be engaged in that conversation to understand those impacts that it has on those individuals. So I, I think it is vitally important for us to be engaged the same way on the telecommunications side, uh, for us to be effective in deploying this network. So I think engagement and communication is critical in making sure we do this and do it the right way. Gotcha. All right. Fritz, what's your 90-second uh, feeling about this? Sure. I don't know that I have much more to add than, than Brad. I think he's spot on there. Um, you know, being able to, you know, looking at it from that engineering back, but, you know, that background and, and thinking it's the measure twice, cut once, right? Um, mm -hmm. Being able to analyze, being able to be responsive to the needs of the community, um, being hyper-engaged. Uh, as as William so aptly said, being able to start things off with just a conversation, uh, whether it's a simple survey that's sent out, you know, in the monthly newsletter from from the the co-op from Middle Tennessee, saying, hey, how interested would you be in a you know broadband service through the co-op, uh, or a survey monkey, an online survey type thing, or simply just having that conversation, popping into the you know in this case the United Office and saying, hey, here's where I live. This is you know, what do you think? Or as, as William also mentioned, you know, having the, the interactive mapping feature. Here's where we are. Here's where you are. How close are you? Um, and then being able to pinpoint those hot spots of, of need, of perceived need, of desire for the service. Um, I think pulling in all of those different facets of the equation prior to, quote, unquote, making that cut uh, is really what makes for a strong network uh, and a network that is going to last the test of time. You know, getting that true community buy-in such that everyone 
is is really benefiting from the service. Okay, and that that we're going to have to take a wrap here. Um, I want to thank both of you, uh, Brian, Fritz, William. You know your um, you know what you're doing is excellent, and we need to do more of it. And I'm just very happy that the uh, the shackles have been taken off of co-op so that you guys can do more of this in the upcoming years. So again, thank you very much. And also thank you to the audience uh, for, for listening. Uh, we will be back uh, later this week. Take care. Thank you. Thanks very much, Craig. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.